In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Okay, so we talked about first the point of spiritual life, and I always go back to review what we said because everything is in order on purpose, because the things connect to each other. So first we have to talk about the point, right? Why am I made? What is the point of spiritual life? And then second was how to have guidance during it. And then last week we talked about how to control the thoughts, because the thoughts are where the actions come from. So today we're talking about the will. So in order to understand how to deal with our human will, right, we need to revisit, but I'm not going to go over the whole thing, the whole concept of how man was created, and then what happened with man, okay, because the original man was created in the image and likeness of God, right, and man was meant to be just like God, holy and perfect. But then when we chose... I think it's working. When we chose to do sin instead of holiness, right? We say that man's nature fell, right? And St. Athanasius' book on the Incarnation is, is the standard on this subject to, to read more on it. So when man fell because of sin, man became slave to sin, okay? And so this fallen nature that we received... Okay, that is as an inheritance from Adam, we received a fallen nature, right? Which is what Christ re restored, is what we call the old man. Okay, even though it was actually the new man. It was the new man because it wasn't how we were intended to be. But we call it the old man because it's what we're putting behind us, right? And that God in the incarnation renewed it once more. And when he renewed it, he renewed it again to his own image and likeness. And this is what we believe in baptism that we're, what we're doing. Right? We actually believe that what we're doing in baptism is that we are asking God, we are dying with Christ and resurrecting with Christ so that we receive this new man um, once more. So in understanding the will, we're going to focus mostly as a starting point, as this verse from Romans where St. Paul says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members. So I see another law inside of myself. Warring against the law of my mind. So you're saying there's something in me at war with what's in my head. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So St. Paul is actually talking about a very real conflict that we all have, right? Where he's saying, I know what's right, right? Like my mind is telling me what's right, but there's something in me that wants to do what's wrong, right? And that's why he continues to say, Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? Where he says, the, the good that I wish to do, I can't do, right? And the evil that I wish not to do, I'm doing, right? This is, is a very, very real battle. So it's very normal to have this internal conflict because a lot of people come sometimes in confession thinking that there's something crazy in them or that they're doing something wrong. This is normal, right? Is that we're going to have this conflict um, within us because there is a conflict within us. It's not a theoretical thing. There really is one. So if you're perceiving it, you're perceiving it because the conflict is very, very real. So the fathers tell us that we have two wills within us. Okay, We have the higher will, um, the inner man that St. Paul is talking about in this verse, um, which seeks after, as St. Paul says, the things that are above, right, where, the, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. We also have a lower sensual will. And when I say sensual, I don't just mean it in a provocative way. I mean senses and really in terms of the senses, right? It's our instinctive nature to gratify the senses. My eyes, my ears, my thoughts, 
touch, all of these things, that's the sensual will of wanting to satisfy those. And these two wills, as St. Paul said, are going to be at war with each other. Wanting to do good and at the same time feeling the want or desire to do wrong. Unfortunately for most of us, the law of sin usually wins, right? We'll, we'll struggle in our minds for a little bit and eventually we succumb to the lower will. And the lower will is, is ran by our arch, our arch enemy, Satan, right? And the higher will is run by our, our God and our, and our Savior. So the goal of Christian perfection, okay, al-hadaf, like the, what we're striving after, is to bring the, the lower will, okay, under subjection to the higher will. Okay, is that we're trying to say, no, even though I might have an instinct for these things, I'm not going to be a slave to that. Actually, I'm going to make my lower will become the slave to the higher will. This is what we're trying to do. That's why perfection is that my will becomes one with God's will. And God's will is holiness and perfection and love. Right? So that's why we're supposed to always be trying um, to bring it into subjection. So, I've divided this differently from Abuna Thanasius because of the, the order in which it is. So I'm going to use his text, but I'm going to also be taking a different stance not stands, but a different um, line of thought from him. So in order for us to deal with our will, okay, to deal with my desire and what to do, first I need to understand my free will, okay, and its effects, okay? The first thing is my lifestyle habits, my own personal will. So if we go back to some of the analogies we used that first lecture. If I get used to using cheap gas, right, we were using an analogy of a, of a premium car. Okay, and if the premium car is supposed to have expensive gas. If I decide to always use cheap gas, I'm going to struggle with spending more money on expensive gas because the decisions that I have made have affected more than just the car, right? Because my buying cheap gas allowed me to afford another luxury. Now that I'm spending less on gas, I have extra money in my pocket. If I have extra money in my pocket, maybe I'm going to eat out more. My eating out more is going to change how much free time I have because I wasn't cooking, right? So I was able to do, because I have more free time, more fun things. Doing those fun things made me think and behave and seek more of those fun things, so-called fun things. So if I suddenly pay more for my gas, I'm affecting more than one thing. It isn't just about my budget. Right? It's not as simple as just saying, oh, I have extra cash and now I'm spending it on my gas. Right? It's now, oh, but when I didn't do this, I now was doing all of these other things. Spiritually, okay, we see the same thing. And I'm explaining this to understand why your will matters, why the struggle of the will is a big deal. Spiritually, we see the same thing. If I give room to one sin, it will lead to many more others. If, for example, I give myself license to be gluttonous, okay, to eat as much as, as I want, it is not unlikely that I'm going to be lustful because I don't know how to say no to myself. If I'm lustful, it means that I'm used to self-gratifying, right? I'm used to giving myself whatever I want. And if I'm used to self-gratifying, it means that I'm also likely to be more selfish because I'm used to giving myself above other people. And I'm going to more likely be self-indulgent. And if I've been self-indulgent, it usually means that I feel entitled. I feel entitled to my thoughts. I feel entitled to my opinions. I feel entitled to my behaviors because I'm used to giving myself whatever I want. I'm not someone, someone who's in the habit of denying myself. Instead, I'm somebody who's in the habit of gratifying myself. 
right? And so even in sins, we sometimes say, oh, it was, this is a small sin, right? right? Which is not a big deal. But no, these small things give room for the big things. Um, this is why Christ said, he who is faithful with little can be made faithful with much. But he who is faithful with little will not be made Lord over much. Because you weren't able to even handle the tiny things that I, that I give. So how I use my own will actually affects me a lot. It affects me greatly. It creates patterns of behavior and it makes me lose sight of what is right and what's wrong. And this is why St. James says something so important. right? He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Right? This is the beginning of temptation. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. St. John Chrysostom says something in his commentary on this verse. He says, if we sin when we are drunk with pleasure, we don't notice it. Okay, when I'm drunk, I'm not noticing the effects of my sin or anything because I'm in an altered state of mind. But when it gives birth and reaches its goal, then all the pleasure is extinguished and the bitter core of our minds comes to the surface. This stands in contrast to women in labor. For before they give birth, such women have great pain and suffering. But afterward, the pain goes away, leaving their bodies along with the child. But here it's quite different. For until we labor and give birth to our corrupt thoughts, we are happy and joyful. Right? So he's saying this is the opposite of, of, of labor. Right? Labor has pain and then joy. Right? Whereas here he's saying, okay, you're drunk in this, this thing that you're giving birth to, this sin that giving, you're giving birth to, and you're enjoying it, until this wicked child called sin is born. Then we are in pain, and we realize the shame to which we have given birth, and then we are pierced through more deeply than any woman in labor. Therefore, I beg you, right from the start, not to welcome any corrupt thought. For if we do so, the seeds will grow inside us, and if we get to that stage, the sin inside us will come out in deeds and strike us dead by condemning us, in spite of all our confessions and tears. For there is nothing more destructive than sin. Right? So the point here is to say that if I give my will what it wants, it will grow. It's not going to be a little sin. It's going to grow. Right? And when it grows, you're going to regret it. How many of us throughout our lives being like, if only that first time I had said no. Right? Because we end up doing it over and over and over. And then that small thing became more. And then we involve other people or it just it grows and grows and grows and grows. Um, so above all, when it comes to my will, my, my free will, I need to make a decision. Right? This is the most important thing. Because there are some people who say, well, I don't always feel like it. Right? But there's an important decision that has to be made above what we feel. Which is, do I believe in God and His will or not? It's that simple. Right? Do I believe or not? Because if I believe in God, then I know that I have a purpose, irrespective of how I feel about it. Right? The car needs premium gas whether I like it or not. That's just a fact about it. If I believe that this is a real car, and this is a real premium car, then it doesn't matter how I feel about premium gas. The manual clearly says it needs premium gas. So it doesn't matter how you feel. But if you don't believe in God, then you don't believe you have a purpose, and then you don't believe in right or wrong, then do whatever you want. But there's no point in having uh, a long conversation about it. But if we believe, our, our feelings don't matter as much as what is right and wrong. So I'm not conforming my will randomly, right? I'm not conforming my will just because here's some random things that I should do. I'm conforming my will to God's will, not another human being's will, to God's will, because He designed me, 
right? That is why I'm choosing his and not somebody else. And that's why even in spiritual discipleship we talked about, is the priest trying to turn you into him? Or is he trying to turn you into God? Because the priest trying to turn you into him, this is a problem, right? We want to be turned into God, not into anybody else. Um, the second part of, of understanding the importance of our free will is that the behaviors of others are also going to affect me, right? And we need to understand that. Imagine if someone is born into a world that teaches that the microphone, to go back to that first lecture, is the gum holder, okay? And this person was born. They never knew what the microphone looked like before. They just know that they said, aha, here's your gum holder, um, and you should get one. Imagine in a world where people say that global warming is good. They know this is great. The weather has been so good since this thing started. Right? We have the best summers. We have moderate winters and it's wonderful. Imagine if someone is born into a world where they tell you, you know what, taking drugs is a great idea. Why wouldn't you take drugs? Right? Here, other people have affected another person's health and safety. Right? This person born into the world didn't choose those things. Right? This person born into the world didn't know the truth. They never were exposed to the truth. They were delivered a lie from the beginning. And that was because of other people. So we need to understand that my free will is important for my own behaviors, but my free will is also important because it affects other people. Right? That if we conform to what's wrong as a society, we are creating a world that affects other people in the wrong. So during the time of Noah, right? God was searching for anybody who was doing the right thing, right? Because human will had corrupted the whole world. So God was saying, is there anyone? Is there a single person? One person that I can use? Is there a single one? And he found Noah. And Noah wasn't even perfect, right? But he's like, okay, here's the best one, right? Even after the flood, within like not even a couple hundred years, God was, again, is there anybody left? And he's like, okay, here's Abram, right? I'll call him and I'll make him Abraham. Because human will affects other people. And so... Even St. Athanasius in On the Incarnation, he says what happened when sin started, it increased, right? And it increased, increased, increased until they forgot what righteousness was and man became more, again, as we said at the beginning, like an animal than in the image and likeness of God. So in order to get into the the discipline of the will, I need to understand my personal effects on myself, okay? As well as how others affect me and how I affect others, okay? Because we are not born as individuals. We're born into a community, right? This is the the way that God made it. And so the goal of our will, as we said, is to bring our will into subjection of God's will. So before dealing with our will, if you want to have an easier battle, the most important thing is prevention. Um, Because it's very hard when you've entered into battle. It's not impossible, but prevention is the most important thing. This is why God said, be holy, right? Be holy. If you're already holy, you're not going to fall into everything else, um, hopefully. So the most effective thing is prevention. This is why parents need to teach kids, right? This is why there has to be discipleship in the home, right? There has to be, Habibi, this is right, this is wrong, and this is why, right? This is why we don't do it. If there's not going to be a proper teaching, it's going to be easier for your child to fall, right? And if the parents are not acting in the image and likeness of Christ your kids won't learn the image and likeness of Christ. They're going to learn the image and likeness of insert parent names here, right? They need to see Christ in in you, not just yourselves, right? Christ reflected through your personalities. So we need to teach, the parents need to teach, the church needs to teach, um, 
and the priests need to teach, the servants need to teach. All of us have to be in the image and likeness of Christ. If we are, there's always less problems. But when we go wrong, problems arise, right? It's always when we have strayed from the gospel that we see problems, right? It's always that somebody was selfish or somebody was arrogant or somebody was angry or somebody had some passion that affected another person that made them be like, well, I don't believe in that. Look at how you behave. And they're right because we didn't behave properly. So teaching is important and not associating with evil, right? We talked last week about the discipline of the thoughts because we were saying, if my mind is filled with good, it'll be harder for me to do evil. If my mind is filled with bad, it's more likely. So I'm not going to revisit all of, all of last week's lecture, but that was why we talked about it, right? It was to say that if I have myself filled with the right, I can help prevent myself from doing the wrong. Because we need to think of goodness all the time. That's why St. Paul says, whatsoever things are true, whatever things are honorable, whatever things are pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, whatever is excellent, anything worthy of praise, like, it's anything good, please, Yani. Like, find something positive, think about those things. That's what he's saying, right? He goes, because then there will be room for goodness. If my mind goes towards evil, I will be filled with evil. That's why we talked last week, what Christ said, if the eye is single, the whole body will be pure. If the eye is evil, the whole body will be evil. And even in the West, we have that expression, one bad apple, right? One bad apple corrupts the whole thing. When I put evil in the middle of good, the good is going to be corrupted. It's, it's just a matter of, of time. It might be slowly. If you put it in the fridge, it'll be really fast, right? But there's, it's going to have an effect on the whole um, apple. Of course, inevitably, okay, so these are the things that you can do in terms of prevention. The devil is not going to leave you alone. Right? He's not like, oh, get out, right? Like, he's not like, good for you, you're fighting, I'm so proud of you, I'll leave you alone. Right? He's going to wage war against you, and we're going to talk about um, those things. But the most important thing for prevention is that you need to love truth. Okay? Capital T, truth. You need to love what is holy. You need to want to be healthy. You need to want things to be right. Because if you do these, you will hate lies. You will not like unhealth. Because you value the right thing. So if you don't have a love for truth, your battle is going to either be horrible or non-existent. Because you don't even want it. Right? So if you don't want it, of course you're going to struggle. Because you don't want it. But wanting it makes it easier for you to battle. Um, loving health in a positive way and hating disease in a negative way. Right? That is, health for the sake of health is good. Right? Is that This is good in and of itself. It doesn't need an explanation. Health is good because that's what it is. Right? It doesn't need, oh, it's good because we like it. No, it's good because it's good. Um, but if you remember that disease brings death and dysfunction, then you can use this negative to help you. Right? Like it's better to value health for the sake of health. But if you're not able to do that yet, then at least hate that disease is disease. Okay, like at least have in your mind, well, you know what, it, it'll be better for me if I have the ability to see, why would I intentionally go blind, right? Like what, what is the value in that, right? Of, of not wanting the disease if it's within my hands to prevent it. Um, and this is where Christ says through St. Paul, right? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So he put the negative and the positive together, right? Saying disease brings death, Health is life. So value life, right? And so the positive and the negative are there. So let's get into now understanding 
how the devil works, understanding the warfare, so that we know how to use the will. Okay? So if the devil succeeds in getting your lower will, which are the common sins, he's also going to attack your higher will. And we're going to talk about um, both. Okay? So if he's... If he hasn't been able to get you to lie, to steal, to cheat, to fornicate, and do all those things, he's not going to stop. Okay, just so that you're aware of what the battle looks like. This warfare that St. Paul is talking about isn't an easy warfare, it's gruesome. It's very, very difficult, and it's unrelenting. That's why St. Anthony said, like, you must expect temptation till the end. There's never going to be a time where you're not going to have a warfare. Okay, so if he manages to not, that you don't have these lower will um, warfares, then what he'll do is try and corrupt the higher will, okay? And try and make it function independently of grace. So that even if I do something that is good, quote-unquote, then that good is not according to the will of God and is done in a way that doesn't please God, right? So he might make you do something that you think is good, but he'll twist it into a wrong way, right? Where, like, like we use that example in one of the sermons, like the monk, for example, who was praying non-stop, and, and, and the devil was appearing to him saying, you're amazing, you're so good, right? Went to his spiritual father, and his spiritual father was like, that's the devil, and he's like, my father is jealous, right? He doesn't get me, he doesn't know how disciplined I am, right? So his prayer wasn't good. His prayer made him isolated from the brethren. His prayer made him isolated from guidance. His prayer made him arrogant, right? So here he was doing a so-called good thing in a wrong way. So I'm saying, so the devil, and we're going to talk about those one of the, the, the lectures is me presumptuous sins, which are the, the right-hand wars, right? So there's always going to be an attack of the will. So the devil acts as, if one of Thanasius writes, as salesman, okay? He wants to corrupt something that is right. So when I used as an example um, in, in his book, um, those emails that came out, like they still come out, about you've won a vacation, right? You've gotten, you've been selected, you're one in ten who have all these things. And today we, we, we probably laugh at that example as like, yeah, obviously, right? Nobody would believe that. But we say that now because people fell for it, right? Because at the beginning people did believe it and people were signing up and people were losing their money, right? So because of it, all of these warnings came out saying, if you see this, don't believe it. But at one point, no, the devil, like, there was a salesman who convinced people of a lie, right? So the devil is going to always be marketing something to us. And it'll always have, it'll either always be a complete lie, okay, or something true that has been made into a lie, that has something in it that is um, deceptive. So I'm actually, instead of using Abuna's breakdown, I can use his, his words, but I, I, there's a, a Western, a Latin father um, named Bede. Um, we call him Venerable Beat. Um, he's post-schism, but he wrote a very nice um, breakdown when he was uh, commentating on that verse from James that we talked about. And I'm going to use it to how to divide up how we deal with the warfare. So he says there are three stages of temptation. The first, okay, is a suggestion, okay, of here's the idea. The second is experiment, okay? An experiment is playing it out in my mind, right? Like interacting with the suggestion of like, hmm, if I did this, right? Like going somewhere with it. And the third is consent, right? I'm doing it, right? Now it them fees. If we resist the devil's suggestions, then we have victory over temptation and deserve to inherit the crown of life. But if we let the enemy's suggestion gradually take control of us, then we find that we are taken away from the right path and we start to indulge in sin. 
Okay? However, if we go no further than the initial experiments, we may have offended God. But we have not yet fallen into mortal sin, right? We haven't like gone nuts with it yet, we're not um, dead. However, if we continue down the path of depravity and start to embrace evil doing by giving our full consent to it, then we are deserving of death and the enemy has triumphed over us. Okay? This line, I use it in particular because he just summarized it so perfectly. But this is very much in line with all the Desert Fathers. They approached it in the same um, way. So the first thing is suggestion. Okay? Is the idea, the, the sales pitch, right? Of, do you want to do this thing? If you know the truth, you'll recognize the lie. Right? This is why that first talk was about what is the point? What is the objective? Because if I know my aim, if I know my hadith, if I know my goal, I will know what's not in that goal, right? Of saying, no, but this, this takes me on a U-turn or takes me on a side road. I don't want to go there. I'm trying to get here, right? So the knowledge of the truth is the way to cast out lies. That's why Christ calls himself truth and light, because they're synonymous, right? Because by having the light, there's an exposure to what's not light. The devil is selling you darkness. If I have light, it's exposed right away. But if I'm walking away from light, I'm not going to know. Right? And so if we know the truth, we can identify the lie. Like the cliche expressions that like, we hear. I've heard so many, I've had youth that come to me saying, you know, sex is just an expression of love. Right? And I'm like, who told you that? Right? Like, why is that true? Right? On what basis are you making that claim? Because everybody said it to you. Okay, everybody said that. Are they right? Right? How do you know if they're right or wrong? Is that the truth? Is that all that sex is? Or is there something more to it or not? How do we know? Right? Whereas if I'm not looking for truth, if I'm looking for gratification, then aha, a lot of people said something that I like, right? So I'll be sold. Anger is justified because someone wronged me. Is that true? It's okay to do this because the person is going to get hurt in another way. So I chose the less hurt. Does that make it less wrong? It's okay to put this pen in the auxiliary cable because it fits, right? To go back to the car analogy, right? It's, it's nonsense, right? But it sounds compelling. Ah, but you know, it can fit. It's like, okay, but that's not what it is, right? If I know what it is, I can identify that it's ridiculous. But if I don't know what it is, it isn't ridiculous to me. It's like, aha, but it does fit. And it's a completely different kind of aha, right? So all of this is arbitrary. The reason why... We're able to fall into sin so easily is because we don't know fact from fictions a lot of the time. This is a lot of the reason why we fall, is we don't know right from wrong. And this is what it means when St. Paul says, or St. Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, right? Be sober means have your mind yani, in, in alignment with reality, right? Don't be like, uh, have a, a party in your mind. I don't know what even expression to use, right? Like have some clear-mindedness, acuity of thought. That's the expression I'm looking for. Um, so that we can discern right from wrong. And this is why we need a manual, right? If I don't have a manual, then I'm not going to know what is the right from wrong. Um, and we also need a trainer. Um, because before putting the pen in, you can check the manual and find out, is this what the hole is for? Right? Or if I'm not going to read the manual, I can call the mechanic and say, hey, I found a hole in my car. What is the hole for? Okay, is it a mistake? Is there something that's supposed to go in it? Like, what is, what is this for? You can get an answer. Um, but it's not smart to just shove something in it, right? You need to have the knowledge first. Um, and this is what we talked about in the first talk, and we talked about the different sources of knowledge. There are so many sources of knowledge. 
Um, but do you put the right knowledge in or do you put the world's knowledge in into your mind? If you put the knowledge of the masses, you may be right or wrong, but you won't know. Sometimes the crowd is right. They're not always wrong. Okay, sometimes the crowds are right. And sometimes they're wrong. But you're not going to know because you don't have a manual. So even when you're right, you're being right by accident. You're not being right because you intended to be right. You're being right because everybody happened to be right. So having an answer to the salesman, basically is what I'm saying, is helpful. Right? So when the salesman says, oh, you need this because of this, you're like, no, I don't need that. Because I don't want that because that's not where I'm going with it. So your pitch doesn't work for me. Right? Because I, I can recognize that I don't need that. Um, if the devil, for example, sometimes gives you a positive, tells you you should be a monk, something positive, because monks are like angels, then you have to ask, am I supposed to be an angel? Or am I supposed to be a man? Right? Because if you're not called to be an angel because you're created as a man, then why are you trying to be an angel? You will never be an angel, ever. Like, neither here nor in the world to come. You will be a man, right? Or you will be a woman. So why is my objective to be um, an angel. If it's to be perfect, okay, then now we have another something that's good, because now we have a biblical basis. But then is this the way of perfection? Right? So if I don't know right from wrong, I can easily be swayed in any direction, right? Whether it's a negative thing or a so-called um, positive thing. What is my objective? What makes something wise? If the devil says I should tell someone about this thing that I heard about another person, I should ask myself, in spite of the excuse that I'm dressing it up with, am I gossiping? Right? I'm saying that I'm saying it for this reason. I'm trying to help or I'm worried. Okay? But am I at the bottom of it still gossiping? I'm not saying never go to talk to somebody about somebody. But I'm saying be honest. Ask yourself, what is this act? Is it really helping or am I actually gossiping? Is there something else underneath it? Because then I'll be able to fight the, the, the wrong suggestions. Because as we said at the beginning, the devil is going to take a truth and repackage it. Okay, so you need to know the truth undressed in order to understand what is being dressed up in, right, when the devil suggests it. So if you can stop at the very suggestion, that is the best, right, is to stop your warfare right at the very beginning is, is the best way to use your will. Um, Abba um, Amun, who was a disciple of St. Anthony the Great, asked Abba Piman about the impure thoughts which are produced in man. And Abba Piman said to him, it's Satan's job to sow them. Okay? Satan's job is going to throw all these thoughts at you. But it is our business, okay? it's our affair, not to welcome them. Right? So the best thing to do is to fight the warfare from the beginning with your will, is to cut off the thought. Because you can't go further, the devil can't do anything with you unless you consent, right? Which is why we have to um, fight and resist and not give in from the very beginning, as Blessed Augustine says. So one of the biggest helps for these things um, is to have prayers and verses memorized. Um, a lot of us don't take the time to do this as much as the older generations did, right? When I talk to the older monks and nuns, even to the titas and giddos that I've met, they know their Bible, they know their Egbeya, they know their Psalms. How many of our parents will tell you that their moms and their grandmas had memorized the Bible and the Psalms? And I used to not believe that until I met somebody who had, right? And I'm like, oh, it's for real. I thought it was just, I mean, just like everybody was the first in their class. Um, but like, it turns out that these really did exist. Having prayers and verses 
helps us, right? The Desert Fathers particularly loved um, Psalm 70, 69 in the Septuagint and the Igbeya, right? O God, come to my help. O Lord, make haste and help me, right? To quickly bring these verses to mind. This is actually the beginnings of the Jesus prayer. Um, there's a whole chapter in the book of the conferences by St. John Cassian on the use of this weapon against thought, so specifically this verse. Um, say that prayer over and over and over and over mind. Let it become your natural um, habit. Um, whether it's a thought warfare or, or, or a physical warfare. When I talked with Abuna Lazarus, and I think he actually said it on one of the videos, when he was, had a physical attack from Satan before, he said to me, he goes, no, I was not alert. He goes, he goes the day that I fell was when I actually wasn't praying. Right? He goes, that was actually when I fell. As I, I didn't have it in my mind and I didn't run to that prayer. Um, then another helpful psalm, Psalm 27, the very first verse, the Lord is my light and my salvation, of whom shall I be? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Right? And, and the whole psalm, this is one of my favorite psalms, and I was excited when I befriended, or he befriended me, St. Anthony, that it was one of his favorite psalms. It was something that he actually used um, a lot as well. So the saints use these, we should use them um, as well. Message your spiritual father to pray for you when you're in the middle of temptation. This is a very helpful thing. Why? You've exposed the devil in his tracks, right? And so I used to do this with one of the who wrote this book. I would just send a quick message, either email or, or a text when he finally got a cell phone. Um, and I didn't, even, I didn't even wait for a reply. Just my involving my spiritual father gave me calmness, right? Even, um, I won't forget, when I was a novice at St. Anthony's Monastery here in California, I had all sorts of thoughts. Thoughts are, are very scary. And for a, a solitary, okay, they're even scarier for a monastic because that's all you have, right? You're not going to go out with your friends. You're going to go only to your room. And so I'd have thoughts and thoughts and thoughts. And then one time, like I was going to burst, and I had already sat, I was at the time confessing to Amba Sarabiyun in the monastery. So I had already confessed the night before. But these thoughts were plaguing me through the night. So in the morning, I came running at the beginning of liturgy, like, Sayyidina, can I please sit with you, like, one more time after um, liturgy is done? He was like, sure, no problem. I went to sit with him, and I couldn't remember them. <laughs> so I was like, I don't, I don't remember what they were, but <laughs> they were really bad. And he's like, aha, this is a sign of the warfare, right? When the thoughts leave you, when you bring it to your Abba, right? Then you can be sure that these thoughts were 100% from the devil, right? So involve your spiritual father um, or friends if you want. You don't have to go into the detail in the text, but you can just say, pray for me warfare, right? And the spiritual father isn't going to assume the worst, right? He's not like, oh no, they're fornicating, right? Like it's going to be like, okay, they're in a hard position and they'll offer a prayer wherever they are. And even if they didn't, okay, God will look upon this request of prayer as an act of mercy, Okay, so don't be afraid, like, oh, well, he didn't get it, so it was useless, right? Especially with me, because I'm horrible with my text. But um, don't be afraid, the, the Lord looks at it. By simply exposing the devil, you get um, help. This is what St. Moses the Black did, right? When he was up all night with warfare of his past and of fornication, he kept on going back to his spiritual father, right? And so he kept on knocking over and over and over until St. Isidore was like, okay, God, like, let's help him out here. And he took him, took him on top of the roof of his cell and said, okay, Moses, look, what do you see? And he says, I see armies of demons in the west. And he goes, okay, now look to the right, what do you see? And he goes, I see armies of angels. And he's like, okay, who is more? And he goes, those who are with us are more than those who are against us. He's like, okay, khalas. Yeah, now you can go to bed. Okay, you're okay. Right, which is the same thing that Elisha saw, 
right, in the Old Testament as well. So your spiritual father can act as um, an aid, and it actually says in the Bustan, in the Paradise, that after St. Isidore showed St. Moses those things, it says immediately the thoughts ceased to attack him, right? He was free that night from the warfare. The third thing, don't hide your warfare, okay? If you hide your warfare, it will grow, okay? Because the devil has put this one little drop of cyanide in the middle of this vat of, of chocolate, if you like chocolate. Um, and that little thing of cyanide is enough to kill you, okay? So if you don't expose it, um, you can um, die. One of the old men told the following story, this is from the Paradise. There's a certain monk who dwelt in the desert and he lived a, a life of strict and severe rule. And he was famous among men and he could even cast out devils and heal the sick. So here's yani, your ultimate guru. And it came to pass that through the agency of Satan, the passion of fornication was stirred up against him. And because he was not sufficiently humble to reveal his war to the old men who were before him, in a few days' time he fell into fornication with a woman who used to come to him continually for assistance. Okay, so here he was the one consulted because he was the best, right? He had a warfare, normal to have the warfare, he's a human being, but he didn't think it was normal because he saw himself as an elder. So he hid the warfare and didn't tell his Abba. So he falls. Um, so then he says, I will go into the desert which is further away, and I shall not see any man, and I shall not be seen of anyone, and there I will die like the wild animals. And when he had gone and he was wandering about in the desert and in the mountains, he used to cry out by night saying, Woe is me, woe is me. And he ceased not to weep and groan. Now there was in that desert a certain solitary old man who dwelt in a cleft in the rock. And when he heard the sounds of the weeping and lamentation, his mercy for him revealed itself and he went forth and met him and they greeted each other. And the old man said to him, Why are you weeping in this way? And the young man said, Because I have angered God and because I have fallen to fornication. Then was the old man astonished and said, Oh, how greatly did I fear and tremble at your lugubrious voice. For I thought that you had been entrusted with the governorship of the brethren, and that you had governed unjustly, or that you had squandered in an unseemly manner the work of the community. For the harlot repented, and, the unbeliever there's a, and for the unbeliever there is a foundation, and the thief is a son of the kingdom. But Ananias and Sapphira were slain because they stole the money of the community of the brethren, and thus has slain the soul of everyone with fraud or careless, carelessness. But be of good courage, brother, and go back again to your cell, and make your entreaty to God as you repent, and he will establish you in your former grave. Then the one monk went back to his place, shut himself in, and never again undertook to talk with any man except him that handed to him his food through the little window of his cell. The point of the story is to say, the elder looked at him and said, no big deal. <laughs> right? Like, here you were going to punish yourself like forever. And he's like, no. Actually, if you had sinned against the community, it would have been a bigger deal. Right? And these are monks, right? Theoretically, they don't live in community, right? They're living, like, individually. But the point was to say, no. Like, here you are punishing yourself. So if you hide your, your, your temptation, either it's going to grow and you'll do more wrong, or B, you're going to have wrong punishments for yourself to deal with it that won't lead you to any good, and so you're going to suffer more. There's not a happy ending, okay? Whereas, throw yourself at the Abba, and, and you'll find peace. Fourth, intercessory prayers. All these tips are how do I deal with the thoughts when I get it, right? So all of these that we've said. The fourth is intercessory prayer. Ask St. Mary to help you, right? We say, Nekbeya, O pure virgin, cast a shadow of your protection on me, your servant. Keep away from me the ways of vile thoughts, right? These are real prayers. Ask her, 
right? She's, she's a great aid. Those of you who have read the Father Arsani book, we're, we're out of them right now, right? There's beautiful stories in there of things that the Virgin Mary did, right? One girl that was being raped called on the Virgin Mary and she appeared and helped, right? And that became the conversion of this atheist soldier to Christianity. It was because he witnessed this um, and, and saw it. Um, so ask the prayers of the saints. Anyone who has a friendship with the saints probably has a story of where the saints have really come to their aid. Um, and then finally, confront the idea with factuality why it's wrong. So the, the fathers tell us there's two ways to deal with the thought. Either run from them in these ways that we talked about, or confront them with the truth. Right? Of saying, you're wrong because of this. Right? Of just exposing them for what they, they, they were. So those are the ways to deal with the suggestion. Right? Is prayers and verses involving your spiritual fathers, exposing the warfare, um, using intercessory prayers, confronting the thoughts. The second thing is when you, you start experimenting with the thought. This is playing with and interacting the thoughts. Um, the, hmm, if I did this, maybe I could benefit such and such. Would anyone find out if I did this? Would I look bad? If I go to this place and there's a chance I might get this outcome, which is what my warfare is and I, I want it. All of these are experimenting with the thought. And it means that our will is clearly weakening. Right? This is, this is the danger zone. We're giving our will the opportunity to negotiate a wrong. All right? And this is the most critical step and the scariest step. Tips, run. Right? Run. Don't, don't think that you are going to be able to handle it. Physically run. Do whatever physical thing is needed to get out of the situation. Right? If a youth tells me or, or that they're struggling with pornography, for example, I'm like, okay, remove the computer. Take it away. Right? Don't, don't let it sit there with you. If it's your phone, put your phone in another room. Okay? If it's a co-worker who's enticing you to sin, this has happened many times. Right? Leave your job. This is not being an extremist. Right? If you actually care about your health, if you're working for a company where you're getting... Um, what's it called, asbestos poisoning, you're not going to be like, oh, I'd be an extremist if I left now. No, you're not. You're going to die, right? Or you're going to get cancer. You're going to get COPD. Leave, right? Why would you stay? So the same thing with sin. If you have a coworker who constantly is trying to get you to sleep with him or her, why on earth do you think you're not going to eventually? All it takes is going to be one day for the devil to come and tell you your husband isn't gratifying you your wife isn't gratifying you. Look at how much attention this person is giving you when your spouse isn't. And it's done, right? And you'll feel justified. He will create the opportunity that you need. Don't think you're going to always be resilient and you're always going to be strong. You're not, right? We have to have humility in our warfare that I actually am weak, right? And that I don't think I'm the one who's not going to fall. If David the prophet fell, as king of Israel, anointed king, this is the equivalent today of a priest or a bishop falling because he was anointed by God, chosen by God. Okay, If he fell as a king, then who am I to think that I'm not going to fall? Because David, when he fell, had lots of experience with God. This was not at the beginning of his, of his life with God. This was at the climax where he'd seen miracle after miracle after miracle. right? And he still fell. So if I'm in the situation, run. Right? When David was on top of the roof, he looked at the, the lady and was like, ah, I like this. Right? Then it was like, what could I do? He interacted with that thought, ah, I can get his, her husband killed and then I can have her. Right? So he had the suggestion, he interacted with the thought, and then he conceded. 
right? Whereas instead, it should have been, every time I go to the top of my roof, I see this lady. I'm not going to the top of the roof anymore, right? If I can't control it, I need to move, okay? No one needs to know why I'm moving. So run, because if you run and you have hardship, this is where Christ said, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. Now you are suffering for righteousness sake because you said, I'm not doing it because it isn't right. Now you get the blessing, right? Now you're going to get some, some benefit. And then Christ said something very comforting because he said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold and everyone's like, oh yeah, yeah, in heaven. But he says, now in this time, right? He says, now you will receive a hundredfold houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. So keep in mind, he said, there's still going to be hardship. In the middle of all this, this bonus stuff, he said, there's going to be hardship. And in the age to come eternal life. So he's saying, no, choose what's right. Yeah, there's hardship in it because not everybody's doing what's right. But no, I'm going to reimburse you. You'll get your compensation. You can submit it, okay, to the accounting office, okay, and I will give you a hundredfold here and there. So like, relax, okay? I'm not going to turn a blind eye to the fact that you have chosen um, what is right. These are the situations that we are forced to show what we value, okay? When you have no temptation, you don't really love God. Why do you think most people, the minute they have temptation, this is when they're like, oh, if there's a God, how come blah, 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 right? It's like once it gets hard. And it's like, why are you surprised? He said that this was going to happen, right? And so now that you're being forced to make a decision, the question is, what do you choose, right? Do you love somebody only when things are going well? Or do you love them all the time? These are the, these are the places that we find out. When there's a conflict of will, Right? This is the discipline of the will. It's only when there's a conflict of will that we find out who I love. Because where my will wins, that's what I love. Right? For where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Right? So it's what's going to show whether I believe or not. Um, and this is why St. John said, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. Because he can see that clear distinction. Because if my will is always with the world, it means that I love the world. Okay, if anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in him, because there's a clear contradiction. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father. It is of the world. So he's distinguishing them. And the world is going to pass away, and the lust of it. So this is all going to end, right? But he who does the love of God is going to abide forever. And he's going to have reward now and later. So like he's saying, this is an obvious decision. That's why St. Anthony, there's a funny part... In, in the life of Antony where he says like I don't understand why people think that what they've done in becoming a monk is a big deal <laughs> like he's like I don't get it and he's like because all this is actually going to go away he goes if you look at life compared to eternity you're talking about a moment and here we are patting ourselves on the back like we did a huge thing right like that because I didn't do what everybody else was doing for like a week in the grand scheme of, of, of length okay that I did these things so bring to your remembrance when you're experimenting that you are about to follow a lie. You're showing your love for the world, not for the God, the Father who made you. Remember in the middle of your warfare that the warfare is going to end. Okay, It's not going to last forever. So if you're negotiating with the thought or experimenting with it, wants you to act quickly, know 
that whatever the lure is, it's going to die. Whatever the temptation is, it's going to end. It will. Like inevitably, it's going to end. So most of us, after being so eager to do something, think to ourselves after we get it, did I really need it that badly? Right? Um, I remember after saving up money when I was younger for a certain video game, or like even when I was older for a, a cell phone, right, that I was um, excited about it. After I got it, I, I did wonder, like, was it really that big of a deal? Like, I got it, it's cool, I mean, but now what? It's, it's done. So many of us, after we sin, think, couldn't I have just held on, like, a little longer, right? So put that in your mind, too, that after it's done, that feeling of, I didn't need to do this, right? So when experiment, experimenting, A, run, B, be objective, okay, to the best of your ability, C, be patient, D, I would say, have physical support in place. This is so important, right? This is why we need community. People you can physically interact with and save you, right? God invented us to live in community. If I run to my own room when I'm in the middle of warfare, my warfare is not going to go away. It's going to increase, right? Because I'm going to be now alone with the thought. Now the thought is going to grow more, right? This is why we need other people to say, okay, I'm going to go out with this group. And you can even say to the friends, I, I, when a lot of our young people when they've had their breakups or whatever, right? I'm like, okay, well, you did the right thing, right? Because you shouldn't be dating at like nine years old. Um, but if like you're having a hard time, go to your friends, right? And you don't even have to explain it. Just say, I'm going to be in a miserable mood, okay? I might be so annoying. I might be so negative with everything that you say. Please tolerate me, okay? I don't, I'm not ready to talk about it yet, but I just need company, right? If they're your real friends, they'll tolerate you. Right? And if you're a real friend, you should also try not to just make it as miserable for them as you can. Right? Like there needs to be like a, a two-way thing. But have physical supports. Right? This is, this is even why Sayyidina for the Brotherhood has us living in community. Right? He could have had celibate priests living individually in churches and that's it. But he wanted the celibate priests to have a community. Why? Our mindset is the same. Our warfares are the same. Right? That we have our own source of, of community and family. So that if I come home, I have a group that I can come home to. If I want to be alone, I can be alone. If I need company, I can have company. Right? Is that even monastics value community. Even monastics, right, need permission. Like the solitary needs permission from the community to become mutawahid, right? To become an anchorite. Pope Krullus, there was like a, a, a fight about him becoming a solitary. Because the opinion of the whole community of monks mattered in it. So have physical supports in, faith, in place. The last thing is consent. There's no tips. If you've done it, you've done it, right? So the only thing to say is repent, okay? Don't say all is lost. I've, I've done it. It's to turn around and repent quickly. There may be consequences to the actions, okay? Um, but it's always best to fix it than to wallow in it, right? If I get bit by a snake, if I don't come quickly and say I've been bit by a snake, well, I can die, right? Whereas if I come quickly, maybe I'm going to have weakness, maybe I'm going to have even paralysis. There might be a consequence, but I'll be alive, right? So we need to come quickly back to repent whenever we fall. So finally, just some general tips. Fight the good fight, right? The war is vicious, as we said. Expect temptation until the end. Have in your mindset that you are going to be at war, okay? And that we have to fight, and that it's not acceptable to just lay down and, and submit. And if we think, oh, that's hard, yes, it, it is. <laughs> There's no one denying that, right? Even Christ himself said that. He said, straight is the gate and narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. 
right? He didn't say, come, follow me, it'll be a piece of cake. He said, come, go take your cross. And actually, that's what the gospel was about, right? Um, take your cross, follow me, um, and walk behind me the way of, of the cross. But the way of the cross is also the way of resurrection, right? So he didn't say it's going to end with death. He said it's going to end with life. Be specific prayers of humility, okay? Bring your weakness to the Lord Christ um, and say the prayers that we learned in Igbay. And the reason why we're saying this is not to be self-hating, but it's to be not self-loving and self-righteous. If the righteous is hardly saved, where shall I, the sinner, stand? So if we're saying, if David himself fell, right, where am I going to stand? The burden of the day is he that I could not bear because of my human frailty. But oh, thou merciful God, count me among those eleventh hours, for I dare not lift my eyes in prayer. Rather, right, we have all these prayers that we say, saying, Lord, like, you be my strength because I'm not strong. Right? Having an attitude of, of weakness allows God to give you because you don't see yourself as a big shot. Right? So have a, a, an, ap- uh, an attitude of, of repentance. Um, this is why St. Anthony defeated the devils. Right? When the devils came to Anthony and saying, Oh, wow, you're this and this and this. Anthony was like, when they were making a big show of the warfare. Anthony looked at him and said, Oh, who are you? If any one of you had authority, you could do it. But you can't. Right? He wasn't saying, Oh, aha, I'm Anthony, I'm strong. He was saying, No, your authority comes from somewhere else. If you could really do it, he, he confronted them with truth. Right? That was a truth-like confrontation. On another time, he answered them with his own humility and said, I'm weaker. And he's saying, talking to the devil. Right? He's talking to the devil and saying, I'm weaker than the weakest of you. So there's nothing I can do. My trust is in God. Right? And immediately they were vanquished because of his humility. On another case, when they put all these snares in front of him, he said, God, how do I like, flee from this? There's two versions of the story. There's one where God answers saying humility, and there's one where the devil answers saying humility. Um, and in both cases, the answer is still humility. The third thing is to do the opposite okay, of what your warfare is. Right? This is why the psalm says, depart from evil and do good. Right? It's not just stop the sin, it's do the good thing um, in his place. So, they were taught eye for an eye in the Old Testament. And Christ said, not only not eye for eye, love your enemy. Right? Like he took the wrong thing. It didn't say just don't do the wrong. He said do the opposite. If someone took something from you, don't just expect it to be given back. Give him and don't ask for it in, in return. So if you have a, tempt- a temptation of taking revenge on someone, instead, show mercy. If you have a temptation to do any of the passions, do the virtue instead. If the devil offers you to murmur and complain because you failed an exam, as Abuna uses an example, or something happened to you, instead say, I will be grateful. Thank you, Lord. In the beginning, it'll be like just words, right? Where like, I'm trying to say thank you. I'm really not thankful, but I'll just say thank you. No problem, right? This is what the fathers say, that the tongue teach the heart, right? When, when you say it enough, it becomes an action of the heart. Um, if the sales pitch is thoughts of anger, find excuses for the person, right? Say, oh, maybe the person acted this way because they're having a bad day, right? Maybe this person is going through a lot. Find a reason to excuse them. Um, that way you can um, fight the devil with a good fight. Finally, take comfort, okay? So that's like how to deal with it, but take comfort because God knows us, right? One of my favorite verses in Hebrews For we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, 
yet without sinning. Right? So we don't have a God who is an alien to our nature. Instead we have a God who took on our nature and knows what it is to be man and to be tried and to go through hardship. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and, gra- and find grace to help us in the time of need from the altar. Okay? We are not alone. Right? This is why we use that example of St. Moses the Black and of Elisha when we saw the image of the angels fighting on our side. We're not alone in the battle. This is a comfort. And third, there is... Um, a reward for the battle. And this is a story that I really like from the, from the paradise. There's a young monk living with his Abba, and he had the habit of not going to sleep before he gave a matanya to the Abba asking him to bless him. Okay, this was his custom. He always wanted to do a matanya at night and have his Abba bless him, and only then could he go to sleep. Mind you, he asked for this, the Abba didn't ask for it. Um, so one night he came and prostrated himself, he gave the matanya and said, bless me Abba, but his Abba had passed out, he was already asleep. Okay? He remained there hoping that the Allah would wake up, but the Allah kept sleeping all night long. He's like, man, I wish he would do vigil tonight. It so happened that during his sleep, the Allah saw seven angels putting seven crowns on the head of his disciple. In the morning, he asked the disciple, what happened during the night? The young monk said to him, forgive me, Allah, during the night, seven times the thought came to leave you and go to bed. Right? Just saying, he's asleep, I can't do anything about it, I'll just go to bed. Seven times he had that thought, and seven times he resisted the thought. The Abba then knew that the crowns were for resisting the thoughts. Right? And the story continues to say that he told the other fathers about it, but not the monk, so that he wouldn't get um, arrogant. Right? So know that every time you resist, there's a crown laid up for you. Okay? That every battle is a battle, and if there's a victory, there's a crown. Because... To me, the best analogy of the spiritual life is that we're soldiers, because it is a warfare, right? And a soldier has many battles that are comprised in the war, right? So the war is your whole life, and then there are individual battles. You're going to win some battles, and you're going to lose some battles, right? But like, we talk about World War II, right, or World War I, we talk about the Battle of Deep, right? We talk about Normandy, we talk about Passchendaele, right? There's all sorts of battles, and some are victories, and some are horrible losses, Right? But we won the war. Right? The Allies won the war. So this is what we're doing. If you are wounded in the war, good for you. Right? If you die in the war, good for you. Right? We name our highways. Right? We have banners on the streets. I use this in confession all the time because it's a good example. Right? We don't look at people with disgust. Right? For having had a problem at war. We, in fact, we, we, we praise them. They get their own license plates. Right? They get something special for having fought. The only person we look at with horror, like, horror is somebody who mutinies, right? Somebody says, I'm not fighting, I'm, I'm going to go join them, right? I'm not going to, this isn't worth it. Those are those that we look at and say, how could you? Don't you care about us? Don't you care about this cause? Don't you care about any of us? Um, so, fear not the battle because we have a high priest who is with us and glory be to God forever. Amen.